important. Talk to your property manager. They don't want to manage a garbage property. They'll tell you, oh, we hate that neighborhood. That's whatever, for whatever reason that hasn't worked well. Once you've picked an area, get to know the property managers in that area because they'll all have different opinions, but they also have a lot of the same opinions. You're listening to The Life and Money Show, a podcast that brings you the stories and strategies of people who are living a meaningful and intentional life by design, building true wealth for their families and impacting the world around them. And now here are your hosts, Annie Dickerson and Julie Lamb. Hello, everyone. Annie Dickerson here together with my illustrious co-host, Julie Lamb. Julie, how are you today? I'm doing excellent. How are you? Good. Have you ever been described as illustrious before? It just popped out of my head. No, I don't. (laughs) Maybe once, like a really long time ago, because it does sound familiar. I don't know. Mm, Yeah. Julie and illustrious. Right. Maybe studying those SAT words. Oh, now it's all coming back to me. (laughs) You know, once my husband and I, we were taking this road trip and then you play all these random car games. And I was like, oh, you know what we could do is go through the alphabet and think of one word that starts with each letter that was an SAT word. <laughs> we told people about this and they were like, oh, I'm never getting in the car with you. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, my goodness. That's so funny. Oh, man. Yeah, I would totally not win at that game. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh. I was always such a bookworm. Like my husband and I met in high school and we had, I mean, we were both in the same friend circle, but we were very, I think he didn't study barely at all. He still got really good grades. And Uh I studied like all the time. I feel like I missed so much of high school because I was always studying and always trying to do, you know, the thing that get good grades, go to a good school, like do all the Mm -hmm. things. Like that was always what I was trying to do. And I feel like I missed out on a lot of things I'm making up for now. You certainly (laughs) are because I know you guys get out there and do some fun stuff like your trip next week. You guys, when are you guys leaving? We're leaving on Saturday and we're going to take a road trip up the coast and we're going to stay in a tree house. And it's actually part of this tree resort. It's very cute. Lots of tree <laughs> and forest puns. It's like my dream come true. So the one that we're staying in is called the Magistry. Um, oh my gosh. And it's got like, it looks amazing from the outside. And mm-hmm. it's got like rope ladders and bridges and things. This whole network of these tree houses. And I just found out yesterday, so cool. unfortunately they're sold out, but they have zip lining too. So they've got all kinds of fun things. So we'll stay there over Thanksgiving. So um, nice. Is the zip lining like three feet off the ground or is it like 300 (laughs) feet off the ground? (laughs) I have no idea. No, I think it's like a whole series. Like you start out and you like you lower, but then you hike up and then it gets higher and higher. Oh, gosh. Oof. I can't do that. I'm afraid of heights. I know three feet. I'd be totally comfortable, but anything over that, no way. (laughs) (laughs) I know I'm terrified of heights too, but it's something that I've always wanted to try. So maybe not this trip, but maybe coming up. Yeah, we'll see. Nice. Well, speaking of which, what they say mm-hmm. is that success is always on the other side of your comfort zone, whether mm-hmm. it's heights or investing in real estate, right? Yes. So 
Our guest today, Kathy Fetke, knows this better than anyone. Back in, what did she say, the early 2000s, she was trying to learn how to invest in real estate. She had really had no experience with it growing up, and mm-hmm. but she did know someone. She had an acquaintance who had invested in real estate and um, was seeing all the success. And she said, well, do that. She wanted this peace of mind to be able to take care of her family. And so she went about um, really trying to get that knowledge through on her radio show mm-hmm. um, and really not just interviewing and gathering that information, but really then taking action. And in this conversation, she really, you know, dug into, you know, what she did and how she did it and the things that she looks at. And she's so great at looking at and really following mm-hmm. the data, yeah. not really getting in the emotional aspects of things or the fear behind things, but really taking action based on solid fundamentals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think she, so much good advice. I mean, I asked her a number of questions around what are, where are we at? Are we in a recession? What do people need to do looking forward in terms of investing? And, um, you know, she has been in the real estate world for so long now and has, you know, kind of on Facebook and I follow her and what she talks about in terms of where we at right now and what's happening and what's really going on, right? You hear on on the news, but what's kind of a behind the scenes opinion of what really is going on? And it was so fun to be able to tap her and and ask those questions that you'd always want to ask a real estate expert all of this. Um, and I thought it was really interesting. You know, one of her number one suggestions was, um, you know, for for what should newer investors be focusing on is cash flow. And you know, when you think about it, if if you buy a property that is positive cash flow today, even if you had to do your rents or you know you had to um, or you didn't file but you had cash flow in for you know a year or two years or more, and you had ideally some money saved up, you know, um, that this was kind of the number one way, in her opinion, to hedge anything that we may be. For or anything we might be coming out of, or you know, COVID issues, anything like that. And I thought that that was sort of sure that whatever you do, if the numbers are making sense and the cash flow is there, then ideally you should be okay. Now, this relates to you know, that, and that's the space that she works in. So, yeah, lots of great advice. Yeah, I love what she said about just picking a lane and finding Mm -hmm. something that you really understand that you're good at. And she even said in the show, she said, I'm jealous of you guys because you guys do multifamily. I could never figure it out. But single family, I get that. And we're sort of the opposite, right? We do multifamily Mm -hmm. and the single family, we're like, "Ah, I don't know. But for all our listeners out there, that's such great wisdom is pick your lane, specialize. And there's so many different ways to make money in real estate. So if you pick your lane and specialize in that, you will see success. And so for those of you who are listening, who may be new to the world of passive real estate investing through syndications, a great place to start is to grab a free hardcover copy of our book, Investing for Good. It's a great companion to this show and you can get a free copy, just pay shipping and handling. So all you have to do is text the word book to 41404 and you'll get all the details on how to get your free book. Now, before we jump into this episode, we wanted to highlight one recent listener review. We've got almost 300 five-star reviews. It's just incredible. I mean, we started Mm -hmm. this podcast 
podcast less than a year ago, and the response has been just tremendous. So I wanted to highlight one review I thought was particularly pertinent for this episode today. This comes from Matthew 2584, and he says, been listening to the podcast from episode one, Investing for Good helped me get over a lot of fears I have in real estate investing. And that's so much what Kathy talks about too, is getting to that place where you can really understand what you're investing in and get over those fears. So hopefully that's what this podcast and this episode in particular will do for you. All right. So without further ado, here is our conversation with Kathy Fecky. Kathy, welcome to the show. How are you? As I said earlier, a little bit exhausted. Uh, just had hosted my daughter's wedding. It was very small, but it's still a lot of work. It's probably the same as buying an investment property. Just as much work on a small one as a big one. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. And a wedding in the time of COVID, man, I'm sure there's a lot of nuances to that. Well, definitely chairs are not close together. Yeah. <laughs> outdoors. <laughs> Well, Kathy, we couldn't be more excited to have you on the show. We can't wait to dig in and to hear all your insights about the state of the market, what we should expect in the coming months and where and what you're investing in. But first, I want to start by having you go back earlier in your story to the last recession, the Great Recession of 2008. I believe you were working in the mortgage industry in the years leading up to that. And then you also got into house hacking and investing out of state. So tell us a little bit about your story and that time and your early experience getting into real estate. And then we'd love to hear what were you seeing then versus how it compares to what you're seeing now. Sure. I was on a learning frenzy at the time. I had never understood real estate. I thought it was really complicated, but I knew that wealthy people invested in it. And I also saw my own parents. My dad was a dentist and he invested in a lot of different things and lost money in almost all of them, except the real estate he bought by accident. <laughs> you know, just the homes <laughs> we lived in. in California did really well. And it actually is what helped my mom after he passed was the real estate that they owned. So I think most people intuitively know that investing in real estate is a wise thing. They just don't know how to get started. And that's where I was. I thought you had to have a lot of money. So it wasn't until I had my podcast, The Real Wealth Show, which was my desperate attempt at understanding how to do it and how other people were able to create passive income and create more time than most people who are spending most of their time working. And I knew some of these people. My dad was close friends with this guy, Stan, who spent the winter in Hawaii and the summer in Italy. And it's like, how do you do that? <laughs> I want to do that. So yeah, I started the Real Well Show back before podcasts were a thing. I had a radio show on KSFO and that allowed me to interview people who did have experience that I didn't have. And I just wanted to know how did they do it? How did they get started? I only wanted to interview people that did it on their own, so to speak, that they didn't weren't given shall we say $200 million from their dad to figure it out. <laughs> so, yeah. So I was lucky enough to interview Robert Kiyosaki and people like that to help guide me. And it really helped to prepare for that coming recession. 
So it sounds like you didn't grow up with a lot of real estate investing knowledge. You didn't have a pot of money that dropped in your lap. You sort of, you were scrappy. You wanted to figure it out and you did so by really just getting an education through these interviews that you were doing. Well, I was born and raised, I mean, generations are changing so quickly, but I'm a young baby boomer. So younger than some of my older baby boomers that are 20 years older and definitely come from a different mindset. I was at the tail end of just the housewife situation where more women were choosing that career. And that was the career. That's what was expected. So I didn't have a lot of guidance. There also wasn't the internet. (laughs) So how did you learn these things? It was late night television, talk about real estate investing there. It was very difficult to get information back then, except at real estate investment clubs that were really just selling CDs and boot camps that were overpriced and not really applicable, oftentimes old information. So it was kind of a trial and type era because information was really not as readily available as it is today. So I was lucky enough that I had this platform. My background is in broadcasting. I was in the news business until I started a family. I kept this little radio show. I just used that platform to interview people who would normally never talk to me. You know, mm-hmm. so And they were willing. What was interesting is they were willing to share how they did it. Successful people are usually willing to share. They don't guard their secrets necessarily. So as I interviewed people, I mean, everything from how to improve your credit to the power of leverage and how kind of easy it is to get loans for real estate. These things just blew my mind because nobody I knew was doing it, except like I said, Stan, and he was going to Italy and Hawaii. So um, That's so, so funny. Everybody has a Stan, right? Everyone yeah. knows of a Stan. They're like, I want to be Stan. I want to be that guy. I mean, I didn't yeah. know, but it was just like, that's a person who has taken wealth and is really living, not driving around in fancy cars, unless that's what you really want. That's fine. They were living life to the fullest and taking advantage of every moment, understanding the power of leverage. So anyway, I learned from Kiyosaki that this thing called cash flow, which being from the San Francisco Bay Area, just we have cash flow in San Francisco, but it's of the negative variety. <laughs> negative cash flow. I mean, it's very common in California that you're feeding your properties. They're not feeding you. You're buying a property, paying into it, costs more to maintain than the rent coming in. And in the hopes that the values will go up and sometimes that works, sometimes it doesn't. But when I learned that, wait, you can buy a property that where the expenses are less than the income. And that sounds better. So that was <laughs> Kiyosaki who taught that to me for the first time on my show and talked about other markets. And specifically, he was investing in Texas because at the time, this was 2005, Texas was very strict about their lending. They were not doing the NAGAM loans. I mean, there's some, but you couldn't go over like 80% LTV on your cash out refis and In California, you'd go to 104%, you know, taking more cash out than the property was worth back then. So (laughs) Texas wasn't doing those kind of loans. And it was an area that had the largest job growth, largest population growth, but the home prices and real estate was still 26% undervalued, very, very affordable. So you had people moving there, getting large salaries, but the cost of living was so low, yet the rents were so high. There was this incredible ability to cash flow in a growth market that was just the beginning of its boom when there were all these other markets that had already peaked. 
You talk to Robert Kiyosaki and tells you what he's doing and he shows you the data and he tells you what he's doing. So at that point, were you like, okay, I'm going to drop everything and go to Texas or I'm going to buy a property in Texas. At that point, what did you do and how did you get the confidence being from California to then invest out of state? Well, everybody's got, they fit somewhere on the spectrum, right? <laughs> I'm in the entrepreneurial spectrum. I'm the type that does jump on the plane and go do it. It wasn't long after that interview, I jumped on a plane to Dallas, met with a few realtors, came home with five properties, you know, I mean, like in one week. But remember, I was a mortgage broker, so it was really easy for me to write my own loans. <laughs> yeah. And it's important to understand that back then, even in Texas, we could do no money down investment loans unlimited, unlimited numbers of them. It wasn't until after the recession that it was limited to 10. So I could have come home with 20, honestly. (laughs) So tell us about those five. When I think about if I know nothing about a market and I go and I don't even know where to start looking, how do you even start? Who do you talk to? Where do you go? Were you driving the neighborhoods and just picking out like, yep, I want that one. I want that (laughs) one. Like, what was that process like? Well, it was kind of all of that. I was clued in that Dallas was stronger than other parts of Texas and the property tax is not as high as say Houston or so it seemed that altogether the cash flow was higher in Dallas and the job growth was more intense. So I did do exactly what you said. I think I initially Google searched. I got off the plane. One realtor met me at the at the airport and She's like, oh, I've got the perfect neighborhood for you. Californians love this neighborhood. <laughs> and it was like $400,000 homes. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm not that kind of Californian. <laughs> like, I'm here for a cash flow. But for most Californians, that would have been a deal. So going into another market is scary because it's different and we don't understand those different markets. I knew she was wrong. So I decide, okay, wait a minute, a real estate, most real estate agents don't specialize in investment property. That's something we're about to change at Real Wealth. We're about to have a certified agent program because of this problem. Most real estate agents specialize in finding your primary residence and don't know much about it, the investment side of it. And she was a perfect example. She was taking me to a neighborhood that if I were a Californian and I wanted to live there, it would work, but not as a rental. So the next best person to talk to then, or the best person to talk to would be a property manager, because obviously they do specialize in investment property. They have to manage it. They have to take care of it for the life of that property. All you have to do is buy it. So that would be the person that would have the knowledge. So I just chose to meet with every single, I went, I don't know if it was the phone book back then. We probably (laughs) had the internet back then, but I just found as many property managers as I could. And I met with all of them to just find out what's your take on it. Where are the calls coming from? Where's the rental demand? What area do you have more problems with less problems with where's the growth? These people really knew back then they were still awful at property management because they didn't have the systems they have today. There was no online portals or these were just mom and pop realtors who were managing properties and they were all different and all had different systems. And most were terrible but it was better than trying to do it myself. And so that's, I ended up finding one that was really good. And they took me to this neighborhood that this is probably the fourth, I guess, leg to the stool table, whatever. (laughs) So we look for this. These are the things Kiyosaki told me, look for 
job growth, first and foremost, that leads to population growth. And then you've got to add the affordability because if you don't have those three things, you're not going to have cash flow or appreciation most likely. Mm-hmm. But then you add the fourth and that is infrastructure growth. So an area where there's a lot of investment, whether it's coming from other investors, whether it's coming from the government, city, as long as there's money coming in to redevelop an area, that's a really good sign too. Just like a lot of investors used to say, hey, if there's a Costco going on in in this area, they've done a 10-year study on growth in that area, you want to buy around it. It's that same kind of concept. So they knew that a new freeway was coming into this little town called Rockwall, darling little town, A-rated schools on a lake, on a hill, probably the only hill in Dallas, but it was an hour commute because you had to go all the way around the lake to get to jobs. What she knew is that there was a freeway coming in that would make that commute about 20 minutes instead of an hour. So you get all the benefits of living in this small town with great schools and cheap houses and have a 20 minute commute versus an hour. So we were able to buy brand new, really gorgeous, they would be multi-million dollar homes in California. We were able to buy them for like 120 to $140,000 and they rented for 1500 a month. And I mean, you can see why I came back with five of them. And <laughs> then we went back and got five more because it just made sense. It's like houses on clearance. Yeah, totally. <laughs> no, and I'm talking gorgeous. If you picked one up and moved it to San Francisco, I mean, yeah, it would be a few million dollars. Yeah. So it sounds like you were going through this process that we always tell people when you're looking for new investments, you got to do your due diligence. You got to leverage the experience and expertise of other people who've gone before you, like Robert Kiyosaki. And then you did what he said. You actually flew there. You pulled the trigger. You bought the plane tickets. You went there to do your on the ground research and you researched the market. You established connections. You were building your team. You found the properties. And that's the other thing. You didn't get caught in analysis paralysis. You actually pulled the trigger, bought those properties. And so you bought five, then you got five more. And then, so what happened? Was it all like, was it everything that you thought it would be? Was it, were you rolling in all this cash flow every month? Yeah. I mean, it was size, like I said, property management was not what it, what it is today. Mm-hmm. So communication was terrible. And I think at one point the property manager didn't check out one of our brand new gorgeous homes and the tenant painted the entire inside purple. It's like, ah, oh, just the cost to repaint that was a few thousand dollars. It was terrible. So, I mean, besides a few minor things like that, it went absolutely seamlessly. Those properties ended up tripling in value over time. We helped I came home and talked about it on the Real Well show. And all of a sudden our phones were ringing with people who wanted to know who was your property manager, who's your agent, how do we buy? And that's really how our company, Real Wealth, was born is us going out and buying investment property, testing out all the teams, and then sharing that information and making a referral fee as a licensed agent. So that's kind of how it all started is I just came home and talked about it. And all of a sudden, everyone's like, that makes a lot more sense than my million dollar property that rents for the same amount. And this was still, what year was this approximately when you bought the five houses and then the five Uh, more? The end of 2004, early 2005. 2004 was really the year that Price like if you bought in two thousand three, you probably doubled your money in a year. Two thousand four was the year that just took off. I think Vegas prices went up like forty percent in Florida too. So that's when Kiyosaki was like, "Okay, we have a bubble here. We're going to cash out." He sold all of his California property right about then and exchanged it for Texas, which hadn't done that yet. It had not gone Mm -hmm. up in value. It took a little time for that to happen in Texas. A lot of people thought it never would. That's a lot of people 
So we're longtime investors. We're like, what are you doing? Nothing ever happens in Texas. But also <laughs> nothing had ever happened in Texas like this before where so many jobs were moving there. Everything was new. We can't rely on history. We got to look at what's happening now and what's projected and rely on that. Mm -hmm. So I want to ask a little bit about, I know you talk often about kind of the state of everything that's happening. And clearly right now we're in the midst of, of a pandemic, maybe a recession. I don't know. <laughs> Homes are still flying off the shelves. Inventory is low. Mm -hmm. Talk to us about for the people who are like just getting into real estate investing right now, which is probably one of the wildest times and uncertain times to think about getting into real estate. Talk to us a little bit about the things that newer investors and seasoned investors should be thinking about in terms of wanting to take advantage of the potential upcoming opportunities, if you even see it that way. Talk to us a little bit about that? Well, being a new first-time investor is really terrifying. It's a whole new industry with a whole new language, vocabulary mm -hmm. that people don't understand. It's really scary. Yeah. So that's where we kind of come in and help people with their first investment property, even if it's just really simple, one little house, because there's so much to learn in that process. I get the fear. There's a lot of unknown and there's especially a lot of unknown right now. Mm -hmm. I can tell you that if you buy at the wrong time, a lot of of course, people say the most important thing in real estate is location, location, location. I'm going to say also add market timing in there. So maybe location, market timing, because in Stockton, when one of the ladies that heard me talk about what I did in, in Texas, she said, well, I've got three properties in Stockton. They're $400,000 each. I'm not cash flowing the rent for $1,200. I'd like to sell them all and do what you did. We got helped her sell those. She was able to buy nine brand new properties. She quintupled her cash flow and the the values tripled in that time. And she never felt the recession at all. Mm -hmm. The person who bought those properties, this is the mm -hmm. first time investor, bought the, her properties in Stockton at the peak for $420,000 each that rented for $1,200 each. Ooh. In about 18 months, they were worth $75,000 each. So oh you don't want to time it wrong. You really don't. Yeah. So I understand the fear of, Am I buying at the peak? Or if I don't get in now, is, am I never going to get in? It's really scary. So even with our own fund, we have a single family rental fund and our team wanted us to double up and buy double the properties we did. But some of the properties we were buying were around $200,000 in Florida. And I was like, man, those the prices aren't going to go up. It's just probably the peak for this area. Well, that was two years ago. Now we're selling some of that inventory for three eighty. So- I get like, oh, are we in a bubble? Are we not in a bubble? <laughs> yeah. If I could have just really anticipated, I knew we were like, okay, these are going to be okay, but I didn't know they would do that. So how do you know where you are in the cycle? It is really yeah. hard to know. That's where cash flow comes in because if the property is cash flowing, you're going to be fine no matter what because mm -hmm. the money that comes in covers your expenses. And over time, it's most likely that the value will go up if you bought right, if you bought in a good neighborhood near jobs that's safe, that people want to live in. Mm -hmm. What I would tell people, so first of all, look for cash flow. And that's, like I said, the affordability piece, get in an area where the average person can afford the average rent. For example, we're very bullish on the Tampa area. We think that the area between Orlando and Tampa is the fastest growing in the country. But if you buy in Tampa, it's going to be expensive. But if you go, oops, can you hear me still? This is okay. Mm -hmm. My thing did okay. If you just go a little bit out, we're in St. Petersburg and a little bit north of that, we're still finding stuff in the $150,000 range. Mm -hmm. 
whereas it might be much, much more and closer to Tampa. So looking for the affordable markets, maybe even within the bigger markets, and but also the job growth, population growth, and any kind of, like I said, new infrastructure coming in, because then you've got the cash flow that will keep you secure kind of no matter where things go. But if lots of other investors and cities think, okay, this is the area that's growing and we believe that. So we're putting in a new freeway or a new hospital or a new school or whatever, new jobs. Mm-hmm. There's a really good chance the values are going to go up over time as well. But so what I would tell to a new investor is probably one of the biggest metrics to look at is supply and demand. It's more of a result. It's not a way to forecast, but what we do know, because anything can cause supply and demand in 2006, right before the crash, there was a lot of demand, mm-hmm. <laughs> but there was also a lot of supply being built and it got overbuilt. But how mm-hmm. could you know that at the time? Because there was so much demand and suddenly that demand was gone when there were mm-hmm. no loans. Today, we have a different kind of issue where there's just not enough supply. The number of lots that are available out there has gone down. If you look at the chart, it just goes shh, very few buildable lots out there. That's because developers take huge risks and develop lots. We are in the development business and it can take, I mean, on our Tampa land, it's taken 10 years to get to a point where we can build. So a lot of developers after the last crash didn't want to take that kind of risk, mm-hmm. didn't want to go through the entitlement and the, the horizontal development to create subdivisions like they used to in the past. So that whole process is down, it just in the last nine months, down 10% in terms of available lots and prices are going up. So you've got this issue of just lack of supply. Demand is very strong. And who would have thought prices went up, I think it was 12% over the past year, year over year, Mm -hmm. when a lot of us were saying, oh, we're at the top. (laughs) And here we are a year later, after the craziest year of millions of people losing jobs, you would never, ever intuitively thought that prices would go up that much during this Mm -hmm. time. Yeah. It is a time of uncertainty, but when you can look at that and say, all right, here's an area. Again, just an example. 15 years ago, we saw this little area in Dallas, job growth, population growth, affordability, and infrastructure growth. Where else do we have that? And that time, 15 years ago, we and our investors skated through the recession as if it didn't exist. There were still plenty of people who wanted to rent a nice home, maybe lived in the home next door, lost it to foreclosure. Now they wanted to live in my home and they were going to pay to rent it. So again, we didn't feel any recession in Dallas. I felt it in other places, mm-hmm. it's not Dallas. Where is that dynamic today? We're seeing the massive gold rush, should we say, where the people are moving. The demographic shift is happening primarily to the Southeast of the United States. Mm-hmm. It's about 10 million people moving in that area from until about 2026. So knowing that the Southeast is, it's affordable, lots of jobs moving there, the weather's good, lots of retirees looking for more affordable housing. It's kind of similar to what I experienced 15 years ago with sort of this gold rush sort of to Texas. That seems to be now towards Florida, towards the Carolinas, Georgia, still Texas, Tennessee, Nashville, was just hot. So, and that's not necessarily the Southeast, but that's interesting. And when we dive in even further, like I said before, that area between Orlando and Tampa is turning into almost like one metro. The whole area in between it is growing so fast that we think with the average price still being around $200,000, that's not going to last forever. More and more people come in and more jobs. 
Mm-hmm. Where can people learn more about data points and all of these types of things like job growth and population growth? Where can people go if they're like, this sounds great. And how do I sort of verify and check? And Kathy said the Southeast is doing X, Y, Z. Where can the normal person go who's not in the industry? Because as us being in the industry, we've got a lot of colleagues that we can tap or references and different things. For the average person, what do you recommend that they do? Well, we share a lot of charts at realwealth.com. There's a list under invest and it has a drop down of all these different metros that we really like and all the data is there with links to where we got those sources. So that's one resource. When you're looking at a property that you might want to buy, I would recommend city-data.com, citydata.com. You can really dive in and understand the neighborhood and even to the point of what's the wage growth been over the last five years or what's the crime rate? Has it increased, decreased? You got to be really careful about crime, really careful. That can really ruin your investment if you buy mm-hmm. in a high crime area. You can dial in and look at it there. I know Bigger Pockets has a new BP Insights that they you can kind of do the same thing and dive in, get a lot of data. I mean, really boots on the street to me is the most important. Talk to your property manager. They don't want to manage a garbage property. It's hard for them. So they'll tell you, oh, we hate that neighborhood. That's whatever, for whatever reason that hasn't worked well. So really, you know, once you've picked an area, get to know the property managers in that area because they'll all have different opinions, but they also have a lot of the same opinions. And when you start to hear that theme, that's, that'll teach you a lot. We spend a lot of time on the Chamber of Commerce. And when we're in town, we go to the planning offices. If you get to know, like again, Rockwall it was an area that we picked near Dallas. It's, these are little small towns. You can walk into the planning office and just say, Hey, you know, bring them some cookies and say, I'm just curious what's going on here and what's planned. And they'll (laughs) tell you, be proud of what's going on in their city. And that those are clues. If a city's Mm -hmm. investing in itself, the state's investing in itself, you should be too. We'll get back to our conversation with Kathy in just a minute. Have you been thinking about investing in real estate, but aren't sure you have the time or the desire to manage the investment? Perhaps you're afraid like we were that you'll make the mistake of choosing the wrong market or the wrong team and lose your entire investment. Well, that's exactly why we created the Good Egg Investor Club. We do the work of identifying solid real estate investment opportunities in the best markets around the country and then partner with you to acquire these investments and then we'll all share in the returns. We'll identify the growing markets, strong, experienced teams, and the solid deals. We do all the heavy lifting of managing the tenants and the renovations, and as a passive partner, you get to enjoy all the benefits of investing in real estate, monthly cash flow, long-term appreciation, and the ongoing tax benefits. When we first discovered passive investing through real estate syndications, we realized it fit perfectly into our busy lives. We could put our money to work for our families, work less, and get more time back in our days so that we could focus on what matters most and discover our true passion and purpose in life. We've now helped hundreds of people invest passively in real estate syndications and are seeing the positive impact it's had on their lives. We invite you to partner with us by joining the Good Egg Investor Club today so you can start putting your money to work for you and get more time back in your day because we know that when people have more time in their days, they can do the true work they were intended to do and the world will be a better place. To sign up for the Good Egg Investor Club, go to goodegginvestments.com invest and we'll take it from there. That's goodegginvestments.com invest. 
And now back to our chat with Kathy Fecky. <laughs> I love that. That's such great advice. Yeah. I'm so glad you brought up property management because that's something I think a lot of new investors don't think about. They think about the acquisition piece. They read through all these blogs. They listen to all these podcasts about picking a market and doing their research and looking at the individual properties and underwriting. And then now they've bought the property. And this is exactly what I did. I actually, to all the listeners out there, if you haven't checked out (laughs) the Real Wealth Network, it is fantastic. Mm -hmm. I remember back when I was looking to invest out of state for the first time, all of the data that Kathy is just talking about was Mm -hmm. so phenomenal and such Mm -hmm. a fantastic resource for me and helped me hone down all the markets. And we happened to pick Huntsville at the time. This was a few years ago. And we started investing there. And just like you were describing with Texas, we live in California and we were looking at these Huntsville properties at 200,000 for four (laughs) units. I'm like, yes, please. I'll take five of those. And so we did. And I did what all the blogs said. And I focused on looking at the numbers and buying in the right places. I believed I did that. And I interviewed a few different property managers and found one that I thought was would do the job. But here's what happened is I didn't know anything about asset management. I didn't know what I was supposed to do, what was expected of me. I sort of had some assumptions about what the property manager would do. And then over time, because we were investing in these developing areas, we were starting to see some things we had never run into before, like theft and vandalism, and we had to deal with some evictions. And so talk to us a little bit about how you guide new investors through that process, not just the acquisitions, but then what happens after that? Well, I think it is really important to understand that there's no way to know what the future holds. We don't know what's coming. We can only do the best we can. So neighborhoods can turn and things can happen and you could get the wrong tenant in there. And so first and foremost, you want to have enough reserves in place, knowing that emergencies can happen. I mean, we've seen it all. We've seen property managers implode and take the deposit with them. We've, like I said, my house got painted purple, who even the property manager couldn't have known that from the outside, right? I mean, every room. So so setting aside, I, I like to set aside six to 12 months reserves of rent payments or mortgage payments, just so that you know you're going to be okay for those life's little surprises like that. One of the big lessons we learned over time was if you're going to be investing from out of state, you probably should leave the tough stuff to somebody who's local. We went in to some of these neighborhoods in 2009 that were just decimated by foreclosures, just all foreclosures. And let me tell you, we were getting these things for like $5,000. It was, you want to buy the whole street. But what you got with it was people just living in the homes. The homes would burn. Actually, we kind of liked it when people go in and make a fire in the living room on the floor and burn the house down. The land was worth more than the house and (laughs) through insurance. But I mean, there's a level of crime that it just makes it very difficult to manage in certain neighborhoods. So even if you can buy the cutest house and it's been all fixed up, it's located in a high crime area. We have found that people will come in and just steal everything from the air conditioner to the copper, to the toilets. I mean, anything, they'll take it and sell it. And then you go in and repair it and they'll come back and take it again. So we have decided that if we can't be there and we don't understand these neighborhoods, we're going to go easier. We're going to go in the B neighborhoods, kind of working class, you know, low crime and stick with that. Sometimes brand new, like I said, in Dallas, we bought an A-class neighborhoods in brand new homes that were quite expensive for 
people who lived there. For us, they were super cheap. But I remember the locals saying, oh, you're ridiculous. You're paying retail for these properties. Why would you do that? It's like, well, because I'm, I'm not from here. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> I don't know. I can't go there and buy a house and then hire a bunch of contractors and manage it myself. I can't do that. I have to rely on somebody else. I have to rely on a team. And I'm going to probably pay more than you because you live here and you could do it yourself. I have to make this easy for me. And for me, new homes was easy, but they still, in my opinion, were a bargain because they cash flowed. And sure enough, it worked out. Like I said, they tripled in value and cash flowed the whole time. So... So speaking of the quality of assets versus the quality of neighborhoods, so what is better, buying the nicest house on a bad block or in a bad neighborhood or buying the dumpiest house on a really great block? Generally, it's the latter, buying the dumpy house as long as you get a good price. I I bought a dumpy house in a nice block and it was a million dollars. So it just depends. (laughs) It took a lot to repair that. And of course, it was in Lafayette. But it just depends on the neighborhood. If it's got potential and it's an attractive area, then by all means, try to fix it up. Just it's really important to understand that even the cost to fix something up, if you don't know how to do it, it can end up being far more expensive than just buying an already fixed house. You know, (laughs) there could be a lot to that process once they get in there and they might find things that you didn't know about. We had to cut a house in half once Mm because it was just falling down and so, Man. so my cheap you cut little, it in half oh, hot, dog, hot dog style or hamburger style yeah, no, right across it was across the middle okay it was oh, such man. a nightmare so sometimes you think you're getting a great deal you're buying this cheap house in a nice neighborhood and then it's not such a cheap house after you do all the repairs you want to make sure you really know what you're getting great have great inspections have your contractor go with you on those types of deals but in the end, that's probably a better deal. I wouldn't want to buy a nice house in a bad neighborhood. I wouldn't want to buy any kind of neighborhood house in a bad neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And I, by bad, I mean just something I'm not familiar with that there's more high crime. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious to hear. So you started this whole thing out very organically, just trying to find good investments for yourself. And then you found a path that worked for you and started sharing with others. And then out of that grew this company, this amazing company. Mm -hmm. So tell us a little bit about where you guys are now with Real Wealth Network and where you envision taking it. We're just so grateful right now. We have about 56,000 members, which is again, 15 years ago, I didn't even have that on my radar. I had no idea. I was just trying to learn for myself. But like you said, people, I would talk about it and it turns out I'm not the only one who wants to know how to have <laughs> passive income. Who knew? So it grew very quickly. And then I'm really lucky that my husband is the opposite of me. Sometimes A lot of times we marry our opposite and that can drive you absolutely crazy. We have managed to really use it to our benefit where I was able to just kind of create this business out of nothing and bring in all these clients and we were growing so quickly. But what I didn't know how to do was run a business and he has a business degree and he's a very detailed, organized person. So he came in as my co-CEO and he has completely organized our company and systematized it. We have 20 employees. They're just wonderful. 
So that's kind of the next step. But another way of creating passive income is by investing in your staff, investing in your team. Even Mm -hmm. if you're just talking real estate, then investing in a really good CPA, investing in that really good manager. Don't nickel and dime your property manager. That's the person Mm -hmm. who's taking care of your assets. Mm -hmm. Be on great terms with them. Send them flowers, send them gifts. These are the people who are on your team. And that goes for your realtors and your agents, everybody. It really investing. In our case, we have investment counselors. We've got our finders. They go out and find the properties. Our marketing people. We have Rich in particular has spent so much time investing in their growth and bringing them to be leaders that we're just looking to be on the board of directors soon because they're doing everything. They're so good <laughs> at it now. They're better than us at so many things. So that's really exciting. But we now, there's a tremendous demand for new homes, both from tenants and investors, investors who just kind of want that. Well, first of all, insurance rates are very low on new homes. I didn't even realize that. It really brings the cash flow down. So you might be paying more, but you have less in repairs and your insurance rates are way down in certain markets. So it actually ends up being a fantastic investment. And then you add the low interest rates today. So we have so many investors. That's just what they want is new homes. Of course, we've got tenants who are lining up for those because of COVID. They want a nice, clean, fresh space. So we're super grateful because I look at people like you who have been successful in multifamily and I haven't. I've invested in two multifamilies that did not go well. They were really difficult. And I was always a little jealous that I couldn't figure that out. But I do understand single family. I understand building a portfolio. We have a fund, $5 million single family rental fund. And that's just, again, something I understand and get. And I'm just so pleased that it's been tested again. This is the second time. The first time was the Great Recession. And the, the strategies we were using then, we rode right through that recession as, as if it didn't exist. And our investors felt no, that they didn't lose equity. They didn't lose cash flow. They increased both. And here we are again in the weirdest recession that any of us could ever dreamed up. Millions of people losing their jobs. But the thing that people want more than anything is a clean home, a safe home, Safer at home has been the lingo all year. The home has moved to this castle, you know, quality. Like you got to teach your kids there. You got to entertain there. You got to work there. You got to cook your own meals now. I mean, all these things we got to do at home that we never had to do, kind of got out of the habit of doing. I mean, even gardening, my gosh, I'm gardening now. These are all things that have become a priority. And so here we are, you know, I'm proud and happy that the strategy that we've been doing as boring as it might've felt all these years and it's like, oh, it's just single family homes. It really has gone through another recession seamlessly. Our investors have made both cash flow and equity. The whole fears about this eviction moratorium, it didn't apply to us. We had a higher collections rate than ever. We've had a higher application, like really high quality applications because so many people coming out of the big cities and wanting to get into the suburbs And because we picked these areas that are really nice, really attractive, but affordable, it's just fundamental strategy that has now worked two times in a time when it really shouldn't have. 
So I'm curious before we wrap, where do you see us going from here in terms of real estate? I'm going to ask you to pull out your crystal ball <laughs> and, and talk to us a little bit because you've been in the industry for a while now and you've seen a lot. And I'm just curious to hear your perspective on that for the listeners who are thinking, going back to what I was asking before a little bit, like where do we go from here? What do you think is going to happen in the next six, next six to 12 months? That's the multi-billion dollar question, yep. right? I think the problem with any kind of forecasting these days is that nothing is traditional anymore. Mm -hmm. It's so manipulated. So, so manipulated. So unfortunately, a lot of this comes from above. Like we don't have control. I can tell you that if there's a stimulus package, things will go smoother. I don't know if that's going to happen. There's a lot of people who lost their jobs or their businesses at no fault of their own. They're literally banned from having a business or working. So that's not their fault that they're late on their mortgages, you know, and yet the stimulus has not come. People can't live on $1,200 over, over nine months. So I'm glad to see that the recovery, most markets did bounce back some worse than others. Some of them, again, the markets that we have identified as great markets still continue to be so. Indianapolis is the number one market that lost the least jobs. It is. It may be because Eli, oh, what is it? Eli Lilly is working on the vaccine and has been really involved in a lot of the biotech that's been important over the last nine months. But whatever it is, oh, FedEx, I think, is hubbed there. So they've been busy and they've got a, a new Amazon. But for whatever reason, Indianapolis was very hardly affected. And that was the same last time around. So mm -hmm. I've kind of focused on these little linear markets. However, the bigger markets, New York, San Francisco, LA, Chicago, they're getting hit really hard. And I think that's going to continue. Mm -hmm. But we saw that coming regardless of COVID. It was mm -hmm. too much. At some point, things reverse. And when you've got high tech paying so much money for their office space and so much money for their employees. They were already moving to Austin and S Seattle and Salt Lake and all over Orlando. So we already saw the trends that are happening now happening anyway, where people will be leaving those big cities and moving to more affordable places. So the strategy still works no matter what. So really, again, looking forward, we know we have a growing population. Mm -hmm. We know that we have a huge number of people facing retirement and wanting to retire. We also know that these poor millennials have been through two recessions. Just when they got out of college, they were faced with no jobs. And now they got a job and were starting to get on their feet and bam. So we know that they're having trouble with affordability. So the key is to just get into these areas where there's sustainable jobs, recession-proof areas, and buy affordable real estate in the path of progress. Mm -hmm. For us, we've gotten through two recessions through that. I think a lot of what happens is going to be out of our control in the next few years. Mm -hmm. And sadly, I'd like to think that it doesn't matter who's in office and that it's a local thing. But if we see taxes go up, I most likely that with the Biden tax plan, it will affect real estate investors. So we'll see how that goes. But even with that, even let's just say the 1031 exchange is wiped out, probably won't be, but let's just say that that goes through and that taxes go up for the wealthy. Here's the thing that a lot of people need to understand is the 1031 is just kind of, it's an incredible mm -hmm. tax benefit where you get to sell a property, buy another property, and basically take the basis and put it on that. That's 
a little unfair, honestly. So if the 1031 went away, well, guess what? We would have to pay capital gains tax. It's still one of the lowest taxes out there. So you still got to make all this money. You still would pay the lowest tax. So it's not the worst thing in the world. It's really not that bad. Nothing to fear. It doesn't take away the fundamentals of real estate, which is that you can buy an asset that the bank puts up 80% of the money for. You only have to put up 20%. And then you get somebody else to pay that loan off for you. (laughs) Who cares about the taxes, right? In 10, 20, 30 years, you're going to not regret it. You're not going to regret it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Last question. Do you think we're in a recession? It's definitely... It was. Anytime you got a negative GDP, well, I guess it's over a couple of months, a couple of quarters. I would say that we were, it bounced back. What happens next? It sure seems like things were going towards a V recovery. I hope that mm-hmm. continues. In real estate, it was a Nike swoosh. I mean, it just came and bounced back so fast, yeah. so dramatically. And in residential, obviously mm-hmm. commercial real estate is going to be very challenged for a while. Office space, I wouldn't want to be in it right now retail's mm-hmm. challenge, but it always was. I mean, all of this is not new. This was where the trends were headed anyway. The working from home, that was already in the works. We're moving into a high-tech world over the next 10 years. The next 10 years are going to be like nothing we've ever seen. So forget about the minutia. Focus on the fact that we are in a massive technology boom. 10 years from now, when we're talking, think about it. In the last recession, in 2012, people didn't even know what Uber was. It was created then. I was nominated. I got it right here. My award for Goldman Sachs. I was one of the the, uh, top 100 most intriguing entrepreneurs in 2012. And the guy sitting at my table was the founder of Uber. He also won that award. I didn't know what it was. I was like, huh, what's that? What do you do? Huh? That was eight years ago. So Airbnb, what? You're going to open your room to strangers? Like We have no idea what the world is going to be like in eight years. All we know is it's going to be different, maybe better better technology that serves people. There's a lot to look forward to. I've heard that there's technology coming that can get drinking water out of the atmosphere, out of like the clouds. And I mean, there's very exciting things coming. We have to stay, pay close attention. What I do know is that no matter what kind of technology happens, people will always need a place to live. Right. Yep, they can't live inside right. their computer. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that is what I always come back to when I was trying to convince my husband to invest in real estate is at the end of the day, no matter what happens in the world, people are always going to need a place to live. So I love that. All right. So let's move into the investing for good impact round. We're going to ask you a couple of questions around investing for good. So the first question is investing in yourself. So what is one way that your investments are helping you to live a better life? Gosh, so many. Peace of mind would probably be the biggest one because 20 years ago when I started this journey and it really started with my husband, he was at the peak of his career with his book, Extreme Success. And and then he found out he had melanoma and that the doctor said he had six months to live. The doctor was wrong, but that's really what started this journey. And the, the fear of not knowing if I was going to have enough money and be able to raise my children the way I want to and take care of my family the way I want to and take some of my kids to college and pay for their weddings and all of that, that fear is a huge weight. So at least even have a plan when you know you can get out of that and you sit down and you say, well, if I do this, this, and this, then on this day... I will be financially free. Just knowing that you have a plan is enough to create peace of mind. So for me, that's what it is. And I've achieved it. 
I do have the time. I did just host my daughter's wedding and it was the wedding of her dreams. And I was able to take care. My mother just passed and I was able to give all of my inheritance to my siblings. And that's a wonderful feeling. So peace of mind. Yes. hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's such an important message and a reminder for everyone, especially in the times that we're in right now, right? To think about, like Kathy's saying, create that plan. Think about what you're going to do for if and when a time comes when you may not be around anymore, you may not be able to work anymore, or you lose your job because of coronavirus or whatever, all these things. And so I love that because that was so much of my reason as well as getting into this. And I think it's such an important thing, especially for women to be thinking about how do I create this plan so that I can be free, financially free, and I don't have to worry. So I love that. All right. Second question is investing in others. So I know you've got a ton of hacks and strategies, but if you could share one thing with our audience, what would that one thing be? Some kind of investment strategy or life hack that'll help them catapult their investment journey? How I help invest in others or how other people can invest? Yeah. Or is there just like one thing that you might be able to share with the audience that you've learned in your journey that will help them learn faster and catapult them in their journey to achieving financial freedom or anything with real estate, anything like that? Yeah. I mean, I would say that just from a practical perspective, the more you can understand what you're investing in, the better. When you get into real estate, there are massive amounts of ways that you can make money in real estate, whether it's through storage or multifamily or office or retail or whatever warehouse residential. It's all good if you're an expert at it. The mistakes I've made in the past is jumping into things I didn't totally understand. And it became very overwhelming and hard. So, and I'm not saying to get stuck in analysis paralysis by any means, but pick a lane, just pick a lane and get really good at that before doing another lane. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. That's like my number one rule for investing is I never invest in an asset class or something that I don't understand for myself. I've seen a lot of investors that are like, well, my uncle who is a broker in this market, he told me that this deal is not a good deal. I'm like, okay, stop right there. Because if you don't understand and you don't have the knowledge behind you to make this investment decision on your own, regardless of what somebody else has said, it's probably not a good place for you to be. It's probably not a safe place for you to be. So I love that. All right. Last question is investing in the world. So what is one thing that your real estate investments are doing right now to help make the world a better place? Oh, I mean, well, back in 2009, we were literally, I was taking bus loads, 50 people per bus through these foreclosure neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. And there were sometimes like little ladies that would peek out and be like, what happened to my neighborhood? It was so tragic that these nice little middle-class neighborhoods turned into really drug dens when it was house after house after house. And and these people who were kind of stuck there going, what happened? And we would come in with our busloads of investors and (laughs) buy up every house and fix them up and bring in tenants and restore the neighborhoods. And I think that's why I won the Goldman Sachs award for doing that. So that was then. I would say now, again, it's just constant free education to the world so many times talked about, should we charge? And it's like, no, I just want to share this information. So our goal at Real Wealth is to raise wealth consciousness because we believe that changes everything within the family dynamic. And that's what matters most. 
Ah, oh, I love that. Raise wealth consciousness. And <laughs> you said it earlier that successful people don't keep their secrets guarded. They like to share. And you are the perfect example of that. You're giving back in so many different ways, personally and through your business. So Kathy, tell our listeners, what's the best place that they can go to learn more about all that you're doing and to follow up with you? You can go to realwealth.com and sign up. It's free. And then you get access to all those free webinars and blogs and data. And then of course, the Real Wealth Show is my show, my podcast. And I also do the Real Estate News, which is a little six minute daily news podcast. And then I wrote a book called Retire Rich with Rentals that is very short, easy to read, super simple. It helps with a lot of the basics. So you can get that on Amazon. All right. To all our listeners, be sure to grab all of those resources. Kathy and the Real Wealth Network have created such amazing resources. So definitely add those to your list. Kathy Fetke, co-CEO of the Real Wealth Network podcast host, prolific author. Thank you so much, Kathy, for being here with us today. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to The Life and Money Show, the number one podcast for people who, like you, are living a meaningful and intentional life by design, building true wealth, and making an impact in the world. For more resources, check out goodegginvestments.com and be sure to join the Life and Money Show community on Facebook. And if you got value out of the show, please subscribe and give us a five-star review so we can continue to bring you amazing new conversations.